Let us pray. Loving God, your word reminds us that we need to be saved from a corrupt generation. And you call us to be your holy people and follow Jesus obediently, receiving his forgiveness and power of love in our lives. We await your guidance, praying that you will send forth your Holy Spirit to convict us, transform us, and equip us for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. If we could have the text up on the screen, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Peter stood up. I love that bit of the reading, and I find these words very significant. Imagine with me just for a moment, Simon Peter, an ordinary fisherman together with his brother Andrew, hailing from a village on the northeastern shore of Galilee. And how do we know that Peter and Andrew were rich fishermen? Well, of course, it was from their net income. Anyway, they were both called personally by Jesus to follow him, and they were now to become fishers of men. And Simon Peter was clearly married. As the New Testament says, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And there were highs in his transformed life. Like when he declared at Caesarea Philippi, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And our Lord called him Cephas, Peter, the rock on which he would build his church. He witnessed wonderful miracles. He shared key moments in Jesus' life, like his transfiguration. He walked on water for a bit. And there were lows, like doubting when he saw the wind and the waves and being having to fish out of the water uh, by our Lord. But also, despite predicting it, or Jesus predicting it, Peter contested the accusation at the time, but we know that he went on to deny Jesus three times when he was arrested. And he wept bitterly because of it. Imagine how Peter felt after Jesus' death. Crushed, cowering, guilty, remorseful, and grieving. And even after Jesus' glorious resurrection, he must have lost confidence Despite the resurrection appearances and all the convincing proofs that Jesus was alive, even though Christ reinstated and commissioned him, could he ever be the rock? Really? But we're told that he and the other disciples constantly prayed. In obedience, they waited in Jerusalem, wondering and hoping. And earlier in Acts, we could have read in the chapter before, Peter stood up among the 120 believers and he spoke to them, exercising some of his leadership qualities. And then they cast lots and Matthias is appointed and added to the 11 apostles. Yet it wasn't until the day of Pentecost, on the holy day, when the disciples were together waiting in obedience, that the wind of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. 
And they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it was full of the Holy Spirit that Peter stood up again. But this time, he really was transformed, not just exercising his innate gifts of leadership. Boldly and with authority, he rises and he begins to preach the gospel, to do all that needed to be done. It's time not just for organizing the 12, but to launch the mission of the church. What about you? What could Jesus be calling you to do for him today? It's one thing for us to always be obedient and praying and waiting, but it's quite another thing to be ready for that moment when God calls us to do something. Ready for that nudge to stand up, to stand out, not in our own strength or natural giftedness, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure Peter was probably absolutely terrified deep down. But he found himself rising to his feet. Have you ever done that? Say, what am I doing? Wanting, he wasn't going to deny his Lord again. He wanted to get it right this time. He was probably praying like mad as he saw the crowd, confronting his fears. But this time, with the waves of emotions and the wind of his fears, he decided not to sink, but to allow the Lord to lift him up. The one who can enable us to conquer our greatest fears. Is the Spirit prompting you to do something for Christ today? We mustn't say, I can't do it. Don't say, I'm not worthy. Don't say, surely there will be others better than me. What the Lord needs is just for us to say, I'm willing for the work of the Holy Spirit in and through my life. It may be to preach or to stand up for an issue, to be counted, to stand alongside those who are in need, or to stand up for the poor and the marginalized. There are many ways that we can stand up for Christ today. I don't know if you were at the Gun and Knife Crime Conference, but I was really impressed by Sheldon Thomas. Uh, he was a former gang member in the 1970s who'd had his life transformed by the gospel. And he now runs Gangs Line to help people out of crime when they find they're in a gang. And despite the danger of what he's doing, because he's a targeted man now, he had an authority from the Lord when he spoke, an ordinary guy who'd got it wrong in the past, but now was seeking to do the right thing. And he was calling us all to stand together, not blame the police, blame the authorities, but stand up together with others. And to look at our own issues as Christians and to address things like parenting. And he had a natural authority about him. Those who were there will, will know what I mean. And that wasn't him, it was the Holy Spirit. He'd made his stand. And I believe we need to stand today for something. 
And as we stand and are, are blessed for standing, we make it then easier for others to stand too. The author Judy Jacobs Tuttle once wrote, when believers stand strong in God's spirit, there is a boldness, authority, confidence, strength in adversity, calmness in storms, miracles and perseverance. Will you stand? The second thing, Peter stood up with the eleven and Peter raised his voice. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 men and women, we're told that they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. But when Peter stood up, a Jewish follower of Jesus, he didn't preach in tongues. He addressed his Jewish audience and their proselytes by speaking in everyday Aramaic so that they could all understand. He spoke about the resurrection of the Jewish Messiah, whom his nation had crucified. And it wasn't until later that he visited Cornelius, and the door of faith was opened to the Gentiles too. For now, Peter was called to stand up and raise his voice and preach his first sermon to his own people. And that must have taken great courage. Many of those were the people that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. What would they do to Peter if he was to follow in his footsteps? After all, as Francis read in that reading, the message that he was going to proclaim was a stumbling block for Jewish people and foolishness to Gentiles. Yet it was the power and the wisdom of God, wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And we see that strength there in Peter. He was enabled. But actually, tradition says, actually, he was crucified later in his life. But upside down, because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. I remember my first sermon. It was in a chapel at Cliff College. Martin knows it well. It was my trial service. Uh, there's the picture. I was, don't laugh, <laughs> with hair. <laughs> and I was really so nervous. I was so nervous. I preached on 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I've never forgot that sermon. I've never preached it again either, but there we are. And it was hard preaching in front of the college community for your first sermon. I studied hard. I wrote and I rewrote my notes. I practiced it over and over. Frances knew it by heart because I practiced it on her. She never wants to hear it again. It was an artificial but very necessary experience. But I contrast this with Peter's first sermon. No college training. No chance to try out his script on anyone like his wife or college tutors or students. No chance to go over it and over it. No notes, no iPad, no Bible to read from because it hadn't been put together yet. He'd learned the scriptures by heart. 
He was an ordinary guy, and he just stood up and said what needed to be said. Now, much less like my first sermon, and more like this, was the first time I ever gave public testimony. It was with the late Reverend Dr. Rob Frost. And it wasn't long after I'd first been filled with the Holy Spirit. It was an outdoor act of witness. And I would just gone along to help with some drama. And when Rob, bless him, <laughs> he often dropped people in it, he turned to me and said, and now Tony will speak of the gospel. And I found myself standing up not knowing what I was going to say. I had to rely totally on the Holy Spirit just to say it as it was. And I think that's much more akin to the situation than my first sermon. Peter's first sermon was from the heart, though we find it impressive. Now, I'm not saying that we don't study or hone our practice as Christians, but what's important is that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us and not rely on our own strength. I believe God needs more of us to race our voices in these days, to speak when we're prompted, and even to speak when we're unprepared at times. Because if we look after our souls and we read and we worship and we share fellowship with one another and we pray unconsciously, we are preparing ourselves for the time when we're called to stand. That's why it's so important. We'll be ready to raise our voices. That may not be as a preacher for you, it might be. But it's more likely in other ways. Through giving testimony, gossiping the gospel, through personal evangelism as you share your faith with others, through apologetics as we give a reason for the faith that is in us, through speaking when issues come up that we need to actually make a stand and give a reason why we're making a stand. could be through word of encouragement or wise counsel. The trouble with the church today is that we've lost our confidence, we've lost our voice, and so we've lost our influence. Methodists are so good at showing our faith in action. Long may that continue. But we need to be able to speak up too, to name the name of Jesus. It's time to raise our voices and let the Holy Spirit speak through us. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. What did he say? Well, I won't go into detail because he said quite a lot, actually, as we know from what John read through. But first of all, he answers their question. They were asking a question. In fact, it was an accusation uh, that these followers, he says, are not drunk. How can they be at this hour? And he makes it clear what was going on, that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, just as had been written about in Joel. And he reminds them of the Scriptures. And it was hard for his hearers to understand because the Jewish people thought the Holy Spirit was given to a particular person at a particular time for a particular purpose. But this was something new. The Holy Spirit had come upon 120 of his fellow Jews, men and women, all filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who'd empowered Moses, David, 
and the prophets as well. Jesus had done all that was necessary to save people from their sin. The good news needed now to be shared. The mission of the church was beginning. Beginning in Jerusalem and that ripple out to the ends of the earth. And the invitation was there in the sermon. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I wonder if we really believe that. Because there are people who need saving today. They need help. They need to discover life in all its fullness. And if we believe in those words, then we need to answer people's questions as best we can as the Lord reveals that to us. The second thing is he explains and proves what happened. Now, I can't go into this because I could uh, have a, a series on this. But people listening would have heard the rumors and possibly spread by the authorities that actually uh, Jesus' friends had stolen his body, hadn't risen at all. So Peter, in this sermon, addresses their concerns. And he gives four proofs for the resurrection. You can have a look at them there in the text. But basically, he was saying, the Lord is risen. He's alive. And we can be saved. He answers their question. He explains and proves what had happened. And he told them how they can actually be saved. The Spirit took Peter's message that they were guilty of crucifying their Messiah. And he convicted the listeners. We know that from the response. I wonder whether we thought that there's a sense that we all are part of the crucifixion of Christ. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous, not even one. Isaiah 53 says, We all, like sheep who have gone astray, remember that picture, each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The question is, what shall we do? Peter was very forthright in his reply. We need to repent, which means to change our outlook, to change our heart, to reverse the direction of our life. It means to change our behavior. And the emphasis is on heart, mind, and outlook. Jesus had been rejected. Now we must trust him. Repentance was what Jesus preached. Do you remember? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Peter was carrying on that call to repentance. And I know it's not popular today to talk about repentance, but I really believe we have to preach a gospel of repentance. Not living our own way, but turning and living the heart and way of Jesus. And people, Peter calls the people not just to change, but actually to do something publicly, to identify themselves with Christ through baptism. It was a way of opening their hearts to the Holy Spirit. And Peter's preaching was effective. On that day, 3,000 people believed Peter's message and were baptized. 
I don't think they necessarily counted them all. It's round figure meaning a lot. But a lot of people were baptised. I wonder if there are people here this morning who've never responded to the gospel, who've heard it and understood it, but never publicly united yourself with Christ or publicly identified yourself with Christ. You've never stood up. You've never raised your voice in testimony or responded appropriately. In two weeks' time, is it next week? It's next week, one week's time. We have this wonderful service to be able to become and say, I want to be part of this Christian community. I follow Christ. An opportunity to be baptized, perhaps for the first time if you haven't been, or to renew your baptism if you feel that would really be helpful to you. It's not too late. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, whether you feel you've messed up in the past. It's a matter between you and God. Will you respond to the call? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you make your stand, others may make their stand too. Don't wait for them. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. I believe, sisters and brothers, it's time for us Methodists to stand. To stand with others. Speak out, raise our voices, and address the crowds wherever they're gathered whether it be on a one-to-one, on social media, wherever. Not arrogantly in our own strength, but with humility and grace, but confidently and powerfully under the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're not all called to be preachers, but we are all called to be witnesses. And Charles Wesley issues the challenge to us in his words, ye servants of God, your master proclaim and publish abroad his wonderful name. Let us stand now and raise our voices and sing of the gospel. Amen.